God's Word, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 10 to verse 17. We're going to look at verse 17. Uh, this morning, I'd intended to split this verse into two sermons, one for this morning, one for this evening, but because I did something else this morning, you're going to get two for the price of one tonight, but don't panic, it will be the same length of time, I hope. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 verse 10, it's on page 1177. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And in this verse, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, there are many of us as Christians who we've experienced in our lives sometimes periods of great doubt and of great struggle. And the Christian life is a struggle. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you may wonder what all this talk about struggle is. It, it, and it's not struggle against other people. It tends to be battles within us, and it tends to be spiritual attacks and assaults upon us. And we're given this armor to deal with that. <clears throat> the two things that are mentioned here, well, first of all, we'll look at the helmet. Uh, in terms of the Roman understanding, the Roman soldier, would, uh, the helmet would be a very tough metal of bronze or iron, usually with an inside lining of felt or sponge. And you just couldn't, you could whack people on the head with a sword. It would make no difference. You needed an axe to get through this helmet. It was also incredibly decorative as well as protective. It was the original Mohican hairstyle um, and uh, plumes and crests and so on that would go through it. It's an image in the Bible that's used not only here but also in chapters like Isaiah 59 with the divine warrior wearing the helmet of salvation. Now, why this piece of equipment is necessary for the Christian is this. It is very simple. Christians get discouraged. We get weary, we get tired, and we want to give up. Sometimes we get so preoccupied with things that we forget the whole, and what we need to do is get the greatness of our salvation. So, I want to look, first of all, at how the devil attacks our minds. Now, we, we looked a little bit last week at that with the shield of faith, and we looked particularly at how he attacks our emotions. But here, our minds. Satan cannot kill the soul, but he can wound the mind. He aims to destroy our sanity and reason. Can there be demonic attacks upon the mind? Well, I think there can, for lots of reasons. I think biblically you can argue for it. Uh, I'd want to argue it also for it from personal experience. Our minds are incredibly powerful. 
It is said of the witch doctors in Haiti when they practice voodoo that if they tell somebody that they are going to die, that sometimes they just go and die. They don't commit suicide, but their mind, the mind is so incredibly powerful. Can the devil attack sane and balanced minds as well? Yes, he can. It is one of the most disturbing things that can ever happen to you. When you're, you're sane, you're in charge of your senses, you can think things through, you can work things out. Sure, you may get tired, may get a bit sleepy, never at a Sunday evening service, but you do. That sometimes happens. You get tired and so on. But usually, you're in control of your mind. But I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where you feel that you are losing your mind, where you feel that it is not, uh, things are not just working out. Now, you have to be really careful here. We are not saying, the Bible does not say, that all mental disorder is of the devil. It doesn't say because one in four adults apparently will at some point go through some form of mental disorder. It doesn't mean that you're being attacked by the devil. It doesn't mean that you are demonically possessed. But you can't go the other extreme either and say that it's never uh, an attack from the devil. Sometimes it is. And this is how he does it. He attacks the mind in terms of wrong thinking. Paul speaks to Timothy of seducing spirits who teach doctrines of devils. Jesus warns that many will come in my name and shall deceive many. In other words, it is very easy for you and I as Christians to be deceived by false teaching which comes from the devil. The devil does not come normally, you know, with a pitchfork and, and you know, looking all red and uh, shouting at us that Jesus is not the Son of God. The devil comes in many different forms. I happen to be looking at a, a YouTube clip this week that was from The Big Question, and it had, um, as well as Richard Dawkins, had the, the woman, Francesca, whatever her name is, who uh, gets a whole show to herself on the BBC because she's absolutely gorgeous in terms of how she looks and comes across really, really well, presents really well. And she sits there and she smiles all sweet and says, of course Moses didn't exist and uh, uh, Abraham didn't exist and the, n virtually nothing that's said in the Bible actually happened. And I'm an academic and I know these things. And people go, oh, well, she's really, really nice. Yeah, but what she teaches is from the pit. It's horrible. It's horrendous. The devil does not come all the time or hardly any of the time in a form which would make us go, oh, yuck, I don't want that. The devil can use many different means, including brainwashing. The missionary Jeffrey Bull, an amazing story, tells of how, well, he was captured by the Chinese communists, and he spent three years in a Chinese jail, basically being tortured. And he says that every time he came, when he came out of jail, every time he tried to say the Lord's Prayer, he became confused. His mind had been so messed with, with different forms of torture, different kinds of drugs, that he just became really confused every time he tried to say the Lord's Prayer. So our minds can be messed with. Our minds are being manipulated by the media all around us. Now, we might say, no, no, they're not. Let me give you a classic example of how this works in terms of media. 
When you go into Tesco's or Morrison's or Asda's or whatever, next time you go in, think about how you're being manipulated. For example, in terms of the music, what type of music is being played? And then think about where things are being placed. Why is the bread and milk not at the very front of the store? Why is it away somewhere else? Because you're going to nip in for a bit of bread and milk, but you've got to walk past everything else. Why are cornflakes not just in big plastic bags in big sacks, but instead come with colorful cockerels or whatever on them? Because you're going to look, oh, I quite fancy that. In other words, all forms of advertising, I'm not saying the advertising is, is necessarily wrong, but everything that's being done, it's being done to try and persuade us, trying to manipulate us. There is a kind of subliminal advertising as well. There, have been, there were famous experiments done in the 1960s and 70s. These experiments are now illegal, but uh, you, you know that film, of course, is made up of reels of pictures and that these are played fast and you wouldn't know that they were reels. If the film was running slow, that's how you get the film to jump. Well, at one, one very famous experiment... They turned the heat in the cinema up, and then they put into every 13th picture, uh, every 13th frame, a bottle of Coke, a picture of a bottle of Coke. Now, when the film ran on the screen, you wouldn't have seen that, at least as far as you were concerned. You were just watching the film. It could have been Clint Eastwood, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, or whatever, and you were just seeing that. But these um, flashes of Coke... And it was done as an experiment, and sales of Coke went up something like five times during the interval, because in those days they had intervals in, in cinemas. And it was subliminal kind of advertising. Well, there used to be Christians who used to go around saying, you can't listen to the Beatles. Beatles, 50 years ago, um, the Beatles released their first record. And I remember I had all the Beatles records at one point, and I remember a Christian saying to me, you shouldn't listen to that because if you play Rubber Soul backwards or the White Album backwards, it says that Jesus is the devil or the devil is king. And you could do, you know, and it was all rubbish. But people were saying that's what could be done. I think the simplest way that the devil tends to attack us today is the same as he did in the New Testament. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. In other words, the, the battle for the mind is going on all the time. It's going on through what we experience. It's going on through what we read. It's going on through news. It's going on through so many different things. And you can't defend yourself by running away from it. I think that this battle for the mind results in our assurance being attacked, assurance of the truth, is the Bible true? Is Jesus who He says He is? Lots of questions that people have. But also personally. Where do I stand personally? Where am I at before God? And so our mind needs to be protected by the past, present, and future salvation. The mind is essential. It is really incredibly important. I can't remember this. I was, this week I was meeting with some Christian leaders, and one of them told me, of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who he knew very well. He was an older man. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was one of the greatest preachers ever in British history, uh, a Welshman who preached in London. And Lloyd-Jones spoke of 
preaching as being uh, addressed to the mind, going through the heart, to the will and to the heart. But it was through the mind. And it, it, it doesn't mean that you all have to be really, really academic, but God's truth comes to us through our minds. He's given us minds, and therefore it's essential that our minds are protected. Our minds are essential for life and for coordination, and our heads are vulnerable, and we need a helmet. Now, I realize I'm walking into a minefield here in that uh, I'll use this illustration. When you cycle, when you have a motorbike, why do you have a helmet? When you cycle, why do you have a helmet? I do have a helmet. It's sitting up in my office. Um, it doesn't quite fit my head, so I don't, wear, I don't wear a helmet very much when I cycle, and I probably should. Because the reason for wearing a helmet is this. You fall, you graze your knee. You fall, you skin your arm. You fall even and you break your arm. But you fall and you damage your head. You damage your mind. You damage your brain. There is very often no going back from that. And so, using that and understanding that, our minds are hugely important. Now, how does this helmet of salvation, what is it? And how does it protect us? Well, salvation is simply this. It's forgiveness. It's deliverance from Satan's bondage. It's adoption into God's family. It's a great word. We have turned it, or it's a word that people wouldn't use, you know, I'm saved. What does that mean? But salvation is a fantastic thing, and and saved, to be saved, is such a great thing. And if you're not a Christian and you're here, the one thing that you need more than anything else is salvation. But for the Christian, how do we put on the helmet of salvation? Are we not already saved? In the Bible, the term salvation is always used in three tenses for a believer. First of all, in the past, through what God has done. You and I were saved at Calvary when Jesus died on the cross. We were saved when we came to believe and trust in Jesus. So, in, it, it is in the past, but it's also in the present. There are several times where it's used in the sense of you are being saved. You are going through the process of salvation. And it's also in the future, what God will do. And that is really what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about full salvation, about resurrection glory. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith, as love as, faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. If you understand that as being the helmet, then what is being said is this, that when you are being attacked in your mind, when you are doubting and fearful and so many other things, you look not to a past experience, you look not to what is happening at you just now, but you look to the future and the glorious hope of a full and utter salvation. Charles Hodge says this, That which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy, is the fact that he is saved. A good hope of salvation, well-founded and well-built, will both purify the soul and keep it from being defiled by Satan, and it will comfort the soul and keep it from being troubled and tormented by Satan. He would tempt us to despair, but good hope keeps us trusting in God and rejoicing in Him. We know that He has begun a good work in us, will bring it to completion. So, our mind should be constantly preoccupied with the thoughts of our great salvation, 
And as that is happening, we are being kept safe from the, un, from the attacks of the enemy. Philippians 4, 7 says this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 10 says, and the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 1 John 3 talks about how we have this hope of salvation. We find ourselves in a position that instead of thinking about God's great salvation, we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about where we are, what we have done, how we feel, and our circumstances. We think we're taken up with spiritual things when we're obsessed with our own sins or things that are happening to us. But the reality is we're taken up with ourselves. We become inwards. We become more morbid. We become preoccupied with ourselves and our state. And what John is saying, we need a breath of fresh air. Or what Paul is saying, rather, we need a breath of fresh air to blow away all this introspection. We need to know that we are children of God. We need to know that we are loved by God. We need to know that God has saved, is saving, and will save us. And you think of the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, where he's the last surviving apostle, and he's on an island where there's no water. He's in prison, in effect. He's been guarded by soldiers. He knows that the church, his, his, his own church of which he was pastor in Ephesus, is being attacked and outwardly, physically being destroyed how does he stay sane in such a circumstance? How is it possible to, to have hope in such a circumstance? He has the helmet of salvation. He knows that he is saved. And that's where we're at. You can be preoccupied with yourself, or you can put on the helmet of salvation and become preoccupied with God. The devil will tempt us to give up many, many times, and the solution is not to look in on ourselves. In fact, that could be fatal. The solution is to look beyond ourselves and to look at what God has done. I know that for me, there have been times that I've thought, oh, you know, this, I'm just all over the place. I'm really struggling here. Uh, I don't feel like going to church. And that uh, wasn't particularly when I was preaching, may feel like that sometimes as well, but it was just, I've got to get my head sorted, get myself fixed and sorted, and then I can go and worship God. And that's another lie of the devil, because you will so often find that it's when you come into the presence of God, when you come and worship with His people, doubting and fearful and under attack as you are, that you find God comes and speaks to you, and you, you see the wider picture, the bigger picture, the hope of salvation. If you just stay by yourself, you're going to be one of these people who's kind of like isolated away in a room. What, what's the worst kind of punishment? This may not sound the worst kind of punishment to you, but solitary confinement. You know, you, you see a film like The Shawshank Redemption, and to be locked away for four weeks or eight weeks in a dark cell with no light, with your food just being shoved through the door, no human contact. The majority of people 
are driven insane by that experience. And yet, there are Christians who lock themselves away and isolate themselves away in a spiritual sense, and it does so much harm. We had a, uh, as usual, we had a lovely meal this afternoon, and afterwards in the kitchen doing the dishes, and uh, highly commendable, I'll not name them, uh, I would say name and shame, but they're not ashamed, they're to be praised. Uh, two fine young students came in and helped with the dishes, at least the lady helped with the dishes, and the guy observed to see what needs to be done. And uh, anyway, we had a conversation, and we started off with baptism, and by the end of the dishes, we'd gone through baptism, um, creation, all forms of creation, uh, the devil, how was the devil created, what did the devil do, uh, communion. I mean, we'd, we'd just loads and loads of questions. How do we know this was true in the Bible? How do we know that? It was just, I've never had such fun doing dishes in my life. It was great. It was great conversation, good fellowship, and uh, I said afterwards... Um, you know, maybe there's a lot of these questions that we need to discuss more, we need to think about more, we need to get the bigger picture, and I don't know, you can say to me what you think of it, but uh, I'd quite like once a month maybe just have a, a question time here where maybe we get three or four experienced Christians and just ask some of the questions that people have. But one thing I would certainly say that's really important for all of you as Christians, whether you're younger or older, is to think and to get things in a bigger perspective. I'm reading a wonderful book just now, uh, The Bible That Made Your World by an Indian uh, writer. And he, I can't pronounce his name, I'll learn how to pronounce it and tell you another time. But um, he is, comes from India and he's utterly astonished in the West how we're turning away from the Word of God. And he says, because we're turning away from the Word of God, we are completely confused about what's right and wrong, about what our society and culture is based upon. And we, I think he's absolutely spot on, and I think we as Christians need to somehow get this bigger picture. As I'm reading his book, I'm going, yes, this is wonderful. This is how it fits in. This is how it works. And I think our minds need to be protected by having this big vision of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the, the, the big picture that we see that Jesus really is sovereign, that I may be weak, but He is strong, that I may be doubtful and fearful, but He knows and is the truth, that I may sin, but He has died for my sin, and, and, and so on. There's just so much that if we put on this helmet of salvation, it helps us to overcome what I would call the satanic assaults of the evil one, whether they are very subtle through mass media, through friends, through our own minds, or whether they are even more direct than that. Now, we'll look at the sword of the, the, the Spirit in a moment because that's the other weapon that we have that helps us to deal with this kind of assault. But I want to sing about that first. We're going to sing in Psalm 119. And we're going to sing from verse 89 to verse... 96, and um, the tune is St. Catherine, and I've lost the words. The words will just come up in a moment, and it's about God's Word. Eternal is your Word, O Lord, in heaven it stands forever sure. Let's stand and sing this, and we'll sing it a cappella. <clears throat> we need to put on a helmet, which is basically saying, I'm looking at the bigger picture, I'm looking at the salvation. We also are given another weapon, and it is the Word of God 
It is the sword of the Spirit. Now, the sword of God is used in a passage like Isaiah 11 and verse 4 as the sword of wrath. It's an an offensive weapon. Here, the word that's used is a word for a, a close personal sword that it was used to defend. And it's the same idea as the devil attacks us. We use the Word of God to defend ourselves. Incidentally, when you get Christians who say, well, I'm into the Spirit, and someone else says, I'm into the Word, don't you understand that the Word is the sword of the Spirit? And you, if you have a church where people say they're relying on the Holy Spirit, but the Word of God is not placed centrally, then they're not relying on the Holy Spirit. They're relying on impressions that they have. They're relying on their own hearts, not on the Spirit. The Word of God is spiritual. How do we use it? When we're tempted to sin, as Jesus was in the wilderness, we strike back with the truth of God's Word. When we are attacked by false teaching, we strike back with the truth of God's Word. When we doubt, as someone has said, the shed blood makes us safe, the written Word makes us sure. We, when we have God's Word, we have freedom. In verse 19, Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul is in chains, but he's free because he's proclaiming the Word of God. Attack is the best form of defense. Now, there is a wrong way to use the Bible, and I need to warn about that. We are fighting spiritual powers, not other human beings. Sometimes we, people will use the Bible to attack other people, and that is not a healthy thing to do at all. You take the Word of God, and you may not be the strongest person in the world, but you are stronger than the mightiest person who does not have it. And so, you take the Word of God, and with it, you take every thought captive, and with it, you can stand against anything. I do think that it's so easy for us to be deviated away from the Word of God. I guess another thing I want to say in this as well is we need the whole Word of God. We don't need a sword that's mutilated. We need to grasp and get a big picture of the whole Bible, and that will take a long, long time. I've been studying the Word of God um, from my work, if you like, for 30 years. And honestly, every week I learn and discover new things. The Bible is just an incredible book in that way. I did not like Sunday school as a child. I have to confess that. And the thing I disliked the most was being asked to memorize verses from the Bible, even with the bribes of sweets, which um, I did learn the verses and so on, but I I didn't see the point. I thought, if I don't understand it, what's the point of me learning it? I'll tell you what the point is. The point is that I remember lots of the Bible now, that it comes back now. What you feed in now, uh, when you're a child, you remember The Beatles, they had their first hit the year that I was born, so that tells you how old I am. 
I know loads and loads of the Beatles songs because I heard them when I was a child. I know loads of songs. And I may not have heard these songs for many, many years, but they're ingrained in your subconscious. That's why it's so important for our children to learn the Word of God, and it's so important when you're younger to take on board the Word of God, because once you get to be an old man like me, you will not have the capacity to remember, and Google doesn't count. The Holy Spirit does not Google it, okay? We're not talking about having knowledge that you can say, oh, I wonder where that verse is, and you Google it, and you find it. I've got this wonderful Bible program called Logos, and I can type in any word and get anything, and get loads of Greek and Hebrew meanings and commentaries and the thousand and one books in it. But the Holy Spirit uses what's in our heads, uses what's in our minds, uses what's in our consciences. And that's why I really want to encourage you just to make the Word of God part of your your daily habit in life. It may not be as exciting as watching something on the television. It may not be as immediately pleasurable as having a really nice meal. But it is certainly just as essential. It's the sword of the Spirit as well. And that's an interesting thing because the indication there is it's the Spirit who wields it. We don't wield it. It's the Spirit who wields it. It's a bit like when you learn to play golf. Again, if you're a child and you're learning to play golf, what does an adult do? The adult will hold your hand, will hold the club with you and help you swing it through and get it right. Well, that's what's happening here. Back in chapter 5 and verse 18, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's not enough knowing the Word of God. For that, you could Google it. For that, you could have a computer program, walk around with your iPhone or whatever it is, and have every bit. You can just tap in something, and it's there. It needs to be wielded by the Spirit. It needs to be the sword of the Spirit, and for that, we have to be Spirit-filled. Now, the other interesting thing here is when he uses the word, it is the Word of God, he doesn't use a word that's normally used, logos, as you get in John 1 verse 1. He uses the word rima, which carries a different, slightly different understanding. It's a specific word, a definitive given utterance. Like in Matthew 10, 19, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. In other words, when we lack wisdom, when we're under attack, when we're confused, we need to have God's Word hidden in our hearts. We need to know God's Word so that we can have specific words to be given to us at specific times. I know that people laugh at this. Um, There's a, a, a form of, they say it's mysticism and they associate it with the Western Highlands and Islands about people getting words of Scripture coming to them. And I know that it can be misused and I know that it can be misapplied. But I'm very, very reluctant to criticize it, to be honest, because I think a huge part of it was simply this. God took the word that people had read, that people had embedded in their their subconscious, and at times the Holy Spirit used it in specific situations so that people really did get a word from the Lord. And I believe that. I believe that there are words from the Lord. Uh, In general, I think, though, it's better that they are words that are seen as the sword of the Spirit which come from God's Word. Part of that does mean we need to memorize and store up, like the squirrel. Um, You can come to church, for example, 
and you'll hear something and you say, that doesn't meet my need right now. Well, possibly it doesn't, but it might need your need tomorrow. It might meet your need in a month's time. You might find yourself in a situation where you go, well, wait a minute, I, something in the back of my head. I heard that. I was told about that. And you're, you're kind of storing things up as a squirrel might store up nuts for winter. I think of Jesus in the wilderness. Yes, He was led by the Spirit, and He was filled with the Spirit. But we read in the Bible how from infancy, Jesus, like Timothy, knew the Holy Scriptures. Do you know if you were a Jewish child, you would memorize all 150 Psalms? Memorize them all. If you were a Jewish child, you'd be taught in the synagogue. When Jesus would read from Isaiah he would know the passages off by heart anyway. Now, some of us don't have good memories, but some of us don't have good memories because we're too lazy and we can't be bothered to train them. But at the very least, we should be regularly reading and taking on board the Word of God. And you'll find yourself in situations going, wait a minute, it says in the Bible somewhere, and it doesn't matter if you can't specifically point out exactly where it says, it's still the Word of God for you. Now, this is so important because we will not win the battle without it. There is a battle for minds, a battle for souls. How are we to defeat error? How are we to grow in grace? How are people to be brought into submission to Jesus Christ? How are victories won in the spiritual dimension? It's through the Word. Signs and wonders will not do it, nor will clever arguments, at least not alone. The devil cannot stand against the Spirit working through the Scriptures. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what was used was the Word. When Jesus wishes to judge the world and the church, what is used is the Word. Just see Revelation 1 and Revelation 2 and how He wields this sword of the Word to speak to His people. When God's Word is read and heard and applied, minds are enlightened, lives are changed, conversions take place. 1 Peter 1 says this, 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. The Word is the means by which Jesus communicates to our inner being. I'm having a correspondence just now with someone who professes to be a Christian and who accuses me of being enslaved to the Word, addicted to the Word. And he says, I just follow Jesus. And I said to him, how do you know you follow Jesus? I feel it in my heart. Jesus is alive. His Spirit works in my heart. I don't need the Bible. It sounds so spiritual. But it's one of those lies of the devil that just gets in and destroys people. Because what this man is doing in the name of Jesus Christ is dissing the Word of Jesus Christ, which is inspired by the Spirit of Jesus Christ and given to us as the Word of the Father. And he's saying, I don't need it. Jesus speaks to me direct. Really? How? How do you know? I do not deny that the Holy Spirit can use any means that He wishes. He can give us dreams. He can even use our feelings. What I do deny is this, that we can rely on these as a reliable guide for us. If the devil wants to destroy your faith, 
He will cause your mind to doubt and fear because you no longer believe the Word of God. Jesus does communicate to our inner being. This is how, Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is absolutely astounding that this book God uses to get right in under your skin, into your heart, and into your mind. And there's a sense in which it's almost as though it's like an injection that goes into your very inmost being, and in so doing, it immunizes you and protects you from all the most satanic and evil of the Beelzebub, the evil one. You know what, how sin came into the world when the devil came to Eve and then to Adam, and he said to her, did God really say? And I think mankind fell, not when the apple was taken. That's a picture and a symbol. I think mankind fell at the moment that Eve thought, oh, wait a minute, maybe God was wrong. Did God say this? And if God said it, was it right for God to say it? How is that right? How is that fair? You and I get caught up in that. I was uh, asked this week by the comedian Marcus Brigstock a question that when I was asked many years ago, it did cause me a great deal of confusion because I had to look at it as an honest question. And the question was this, and uh, I think the whole interview is going to go out in about two weeks' time. But I was asking him why he didn't believe because he said he was an atheist who was really unhappy and wanted to believe. And he gave an example. There were different things that we discussed, but this was one of them. His child came home from school, and as they were driving past a church where he'd been at a christening, um, his child, who was six years old, said, Daddy, Daddy, look, it's those funny people. And why are we not like those funny people? And Marcus Brigstock said to his son, now's the time to have the talk, which for an atheist is a wee bit different. He said, son, because we don't believe in God. We're not like them. And his son said to him, oh, dad, you've got to believe in God, because otherwise God will send another flood and kill you. And Marcus Brigstock was horrified. He said, I, don't, I deliberately haven't sent my child to a, 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 you know, a religious school. Where did he get this from? And, and then Marcus Brigstock started thinking about, wait a minute, how do you have Noah's Ark nurseries? How do you call a nursery Noah's Ark? You wouldn't call, you know, Auschwitz nursery, would you? Belson nursery. He says, God wiped out the whole earth. This is not a pretty story. Have you ever seen the devastation caused by a flood? This is every single human being except for one family being wiped out. Why is this a cute, cuddly children's story? And he asked me that question. I, because I'd gone through this myself before, I said to him, you're, you're spot on. You're absolutely correct. It is not a cute, cuddly children's story. Wow, God knocked out, wiped out so much of the earth. What is the answer to that? And you know, if I was thinking that question purely from my own perspective, without thinking through the Word of God and who God is and what the Bible says about that, I would have been going, that's really unfair. That's not right. This is wrong. What kind of God is this? I can't believe any of this. But when you look at it from a biblical perspective, it changes everything. And in that particular question, for example, uh, I explained to Marcus, who's a very strong environmentalist, 
do you never sometimes think that the whole human race should be wiped out for what we're doing to the planet? And he said, yes, absolutely. I said, well, maybe, maybe God had a reason. Maybe humanity's wickedness was such that to leave humans on the earth would have been worse than to wipe us from the earth. Maybe that was possible. Maybe what God was doing, because the Bible tells me that God is just and God is fair, that I'm not the judge, that He is the judge. And maybe God had another purpose, and maybe God had another plan, and maybe out of that horrific tragedy, and the tragedy was not so much the flood, but the wickedness and cruelty and inhumanity of humanity. Maybe that was it. And when you go back and you look at the Word and you say, let God be true and every man a liar, it makes an enormous change. We have to learn to take God's Word, to believe God's Word, and to apply God's Word. And that's why it's just so vital that you keep being fed it. You know that physically you need certain types of food, you need certain nutrients and proteins and all the rest of it. Spiritually, you need to be fed. You need fellowship. We saw this morning, I was trying to indicate the importance of having fellowship with one another. We need this hope of the helmet of salvation. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to be continually fed the Word of God. Every day, we need to be fed the Word of God. As I think it was the Scripture Union notes were called our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. So easy, isn't it? You're a Christian. You've been running along on how you felt for a long, long time, but in reality, you've been running on empty, and you've run out, and there's nothing left in the tank, and you've stalled, and you've stopped. Keep on being filled with the Spirit, and you're filled with the Spirit as God brings His Word and speaks it to us. Take the sword of the Spirit. Therefore, says the writer to the Hebrews, Hebrews 12, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen. May God bless His Word to us.